This series of Friday's Child is brought to you in association with The Healthy Home. I don't know about you mamas, but my desire to nest and organize my home has only increased since the arrival of my daughter. I am obsessed with making sure my home is clean and hygienic for my little one, but there are certain germs and nasties that cannot be seen by the naked eye. Well, this is where the wonderful team at The Healthy Home come in. The Healthy Home is the leading company in the Middle East specialized in advanced eco-friendly sanitization technologies, home services and products. Their esteemed team have been expert leaders in the home services industry since 2013, so they really know what they're doing. As we enter the height of the sweltering summer heat here in the UAE, we are all going to be spending a lot more time in our homes and our AC systems are going to be working overtime. So now is the perfect time to get the healthy home team in to make sure your home is free of impurities that cannot be removed by regular cleaning methods. And if not managed properly, germs, bacteria and viruses can be spread across your home through your AC. Poor indoor air quality can trigger allergies, asthma, eczema, morning fatigue, itchy eyes and even bed bugs. So protect your family and have peace of mind that your home is not only clean, but safe. I recently had the Healthy Home team in to clean and sanitize my baby's nursery, including her crib mattress along with my mattress. And if you want to see what came off my poor mattress after the team had worked their magic, check out my highlighted stories on the Friday's Child Instagram page for a real shot. All their treatments are chemical-free and eco-friendly, so they're 100% safe for infants and children. It felt so fantastic to know my baby's mattress was thoroughly cleaned and sanitized, along with the rest of her nursery. And mamas, guess what? These treatments don't just give you peace of mind that everything is beautifully clean. The benefits also include better breathing, better sleep, and improved energy levels. And I'm delighted to report we all slept very soundly through the night after that one visit from the Healthy Home team. The Healthy Home has quickly become an integral part of our home maintenance and I've already marked on the calendar our next visit as it's very important to have these treatments every six months to maintain all the fabulous health benefits. If you'd like to find out more about the Healthy Home Services, just visit their website www.thehealthyhome.me or check out their Instagram page, both of which are linked in the show notes of this episode. Welcome to a brand new series of Friday's Child, the podcast on a mission to educate, empower and support you on your parenting journey. I'm your host, Peter, a British expat who's been living in Dubai for 10 years and first-time mama to my gorgeous little girl, Mavia. I have some incredible guests for you this season, including Heidi Murkoff, the author of the iconic, best-selling book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, YouTube star, Nurse Zabe, along with amazing childbirth educators, parenting coaches, and real mums keeping it very real. So let's get into it. My guest today is Dubai-based first-time mum, health and fitness influencer and yogi Danielle Blaker, aka Gypsy Fit DXB. This conversation was recorded a few months ago when Danielle's gorgeous little girl was only two months old. Danielle was so open and generously spoke about her pregnancy journey after experiencing multiple miscarriages. We also spoke about life in the fourth trimester, along with Danielle's top tips for traveling with a newborn. So, without further ado, here's my chat with the lovely Danielle. Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to to be here. And congratulations on the birth of your little baby girl. How long ago was she born now? How old is she? She was born on February 21st, so she'll be two months tomorrow. (gasps) So you're still very much in that fourth trimester. Absolutely. And it's, it's changed. It's gone by really, really quickly, but it's changed so much. Like it feels, I can't believe she's already two months, but it's been like each week was its own journey 
mm. in its own, if you know what I mean. Oh, completely. And you're you're very much in the thick of it at the moment, which is why I'm so excited to speak to you today. Um, because I know we'll have so many listeners that are in exactly the same sort of stage with their with their baby. Um, so to start, can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy journey and your birth experience? Sure. Um, I'll I'll take you back a little bit further and just give you a quick overview. We didn't have uh, an easy time uh, falling pregnant. I actually had four miscarriages, four DNCs, um, which is where they remove the fetus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a surgery. It doesn't. It didn't come out naturally. Um, we were actually on the road to doing IVF. We had done two rounds of retrieval. And we had two female embryos and two male embryos in the freezer ready to go. And I was, you know, giving my body a couple of months break after two rounds of retrievals. And we went out for a friend's birthday, got into some drinks, and Alia was conceived naturally, which is, it's just, it's mind-blowing how much you know, when you're not thinking about getting pregnant, you know, I didn't even know where I was in my cycle. Um, because it was, it sort of happened like right after, um, the last retrieval and I wasn't, you know, peeing on sticks to check Mm -hmm. my ovulation. I wasn't checking the calendar constantly. I wasn't, you know, you know, telling my husband, okay, we have to have sex right now. (laughs) It was, it wasn't mechanical. I, I mean, it was natural. It wasn't mechanical at all. Like we had been before, um, so we still have the embryos in the freezer and yeah, it's, it's, I, you know, I, it's fun, just funny how the world works. That is so incredible. That was our, our journey to getting pregnant. Um, with the first trimester, I was definitely nauseous and tired. And with this pregnancy, I was more nauseous than any of the others. So I, I if there are any listeners out there that, you know, feel really nauseous and and sick it's actually a good thing i i believe it's a good thing because it means that you know there's something happening Mm. there um so it's i was happy to feel that i was like when that stops you're like "Uh oh you know is it still there maybe something's happened so the nauseousness was always um, a good sign for me and yeah during the first trimester i could sleep for 12 hours without any issues but I felt like I had the worst hangover and it would come in waves. So you would be okay. And then all of a sudden you would just be like, oh my God, like it would just come at you and you, you can't really, I couldn't really do anything to, to stop it. Ice cold water, um, sliders and chicken strips from boutique kitchen and ice cream were the things that I could do to, to make myself feel better during those, those tough, um, those tough times during the first trimester. And did you have a lot of anxiety because of what you'd been through? I had so much anxiety. I, I actually, when I, I wasn't getting my period, like I had no idea I was pregnant. And I called um, Dr. Demetrios, who was my IVF doctor. And I said, I'm not getting my period. And I want to get, you know, the show on the road. I want to get yeah. the ball rolling. And I know I have to have my period to, do the implantation. He said, okay, we'll give it another week. And if you don't get it, then, you know, come down and see me and, and, um, you know, we can do a procedure. We can do something to bring your period on, which I had no idea that you could do that. You could induce a period. Um, so I ended up taking a pregnancy test and it was negative. So I was like, okay, I guess, you know, it's just my body taking its time. And at this point, I think I was six weeks pregnant and I went in to go and see him to, you know, induce the period. And we looked up on the screen and saw that I was pregnant. And I was actually quite upset. And I I told him, I'm like, oh, this is not what I, this is not part of the plan. You know, I, Mm. we don't make good natural babies. Something always happens. Now I have to wait, see if, you know, I'm going to have another miscarriage, a fifth miscarriage. I don't know if I can even go through that. And I was just feeling really awful about, um, you know, not having to stick to the plan and, and whatnot. But he was, he was so great. He said, I'm praying for you. And I have a good feeling about this one. I think it's going to stick. So it did. And I did have a lot of anxiety, but I was literally going into the doctor's office. I felt like it was every, 
every three or four days to get checked. Definitely once a week. I was in there constantly getting checked up until the the 12 week mark. And once you got to that 12 week mark, did you feel a little bit of like, okay, I can relax a little bit or right up until she was in your arms? Did you feel like at any moment I could lose this because of the experiences you'd had? I was okay up until 16 weeks. And I say 16 only because I know someone who, who lost a baby at 16 Mm. weeks. Um, and after, I think when I got to 20 weeks, I was like, okay, we're good. And I could start buying things and I could start, you know, talking about it a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think 20 weeks I felt, I felt secure and I felt good. I felt positive and confident about my pregnancy. Yeah, I actually was the same. Um, I hadn't experienced a miscarriage, but I wouldn't allow myself to buy anything until I got to about 21 weeks. I just felt... I, I told people, but I, I don't know. I just wanted to wait. I just had this thing of like, I'm not going to buy things. I'm not going to, I mean, yes, you're already excited. You can't stop yourself from getting excited. Mm-hmm. I just it's was like, like, you don't want to jinx it. <laughs> yeah. You become very superstitious, but thank you for sharing that because I think, you know, miscarriage is so much more common than we realize. And I think, you know, I have a very close friend of mine that experienced a miscarriage um, last December and, and now she is halfway through her pregnancy, but she, oh, great. she's felt very anxious and almost like you said when you were in the doctors, it's like, oh, okay, well, it's such a, it must be such a bizarre feeling because of course it's wonderful, but then you're also like, well, I feel like I know how this is going to end. You really, you really, you're absolutely right. And the way that I actually dealt with the miscarriages, I know this is a whole other topic, but just if there are any listeners out there who this might help, I thought about it as like a science experiment. Mm. Just look at it from a science point of view. So if, you know, you're, you're making this, this baby and if there's something wrong with it, um, it's, you know, you, you don't want to carry it to full term and have it because there, there would be something wrong with it. So two of my, um, fetuses were tested and they came back with one had down syndrome and one had another um, genetic issue where if that, you know, child had been born, we would have had, you know, a a child with issues its whole life. And it's, it wouldn't have been, you know, it wouldn't been fair on the child. So think of it as it's science, it's your body, it's, it's doing what it needs to do, um, you know, so that the outcome ends up being a good outcome instead of a bad outcome yeah I think I think that's a really sort of smart and pragmatic way to look at it and so in the lead up to your birth did you have a sort of plan in mind did you have preferences um were there any because you'd had this experience was your doctor um sort of advising you to go one way or another what was your birth experience like um my birth experience was great. I, you know, I went into it in a very open, open-minded. I, I had Dr. Rosalie Sant, who's fantastic. And I said to her, I just want this baby to be born healthy, whatever it takes. If, you know, if I end up needing a C-section, I'm not going to be upset about it. If we can go natural, great. And natural meaning natural with epidural. Mm. Um, I was very open about it. The only, the only thing that sort of changed my mind is when I started to listen to hypnobirthing. So I, I downloaded, I, I found the site, I you know paid a little bit of money and downloaded a series. And I started listening to it every morning when I was going on my walks during my pregnancy. And hypnobirthing is so much more than just breathing exercises and visualization it really teaches you your rights and it it's very much on the 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 natural birthing side and i i did have a lot of takeaways after listening to the series of you know they really explain to you what the hospital experience could be like and it's your right if you want to say no to certain things that you find are invasive and you know these are things that your doctor doesn't really tell you because Mm. your doctor's job is to get the baby out the safest way possible. 
um, you know, they don't really go into much detail about the trauma of forceps or, um, you know, how, how you're going to feel with the epidural. I mean, they'll give you some inclination, but they won't, you know, they, it's not really their role. They just, they give you the options and their job is to get that baby out Mm -hmm. healthy and safe. So I really, I did learn a lot from, from hypnobirthing and I did have a lot of good takeaways that I took with me to the hospital when I did have, um, when I went into birth. Um, I was actually induced at 38 weeks because my placenta, basically my, my placenta was low. Um, and I found out, I think at, you know, in the middle of my pregnancy and I couldn't exercise. I couldn't, um, have sex. <laughs> um, there are a lot of things I couldn't do. And she kept saying, respect the placenta because this organ is so important. Mm. And it really is true because my placenta had started to, I guess you could say, give up towards the end of my pregnancy. And when I went in at 28 weeks, she had noticed that the, the, the brain and the lungs and the heart were developing at the right pace but the stomach wasn't. So the stomach was at 35 weeks when the rest of the baby was at 38 weeks, if that makes sense. So she was saying that the placenta um, or your, the body provides all the Mm. nourishment to the main, you know, the main areas of the baby, the most important ones. And then the stomach was the last to develop. So she wanted to bring the baby out two weeks early so that we could, you know, feed the baby on the outside. So I had my date. I was induced. Um, I had a lovely experience at, at city hospital. And funny enough, I, I really wanted to have a midwife or sorry, I had a midwife, but I really wanted to have a doula. And I suppose if, you know, doulas were allowed cause they're not allowed currently because of, of COVID, because of COVID yeah. um, I would have had um, probably a, a really different experience. And I wanted a doula just because I didn't know if my husband was going to be the right coach or cheerleader. Mm. I didn't know how he was going to handle it. And I, I really wanted to, to try, um, you know, and I just wanted to be coached and I wanted to have a very calm experience and I didn't want, um, I don't know, I didn't want any, any chaos and I thought a doula would really help me. Um, but in the end, I was really glad that it was just the two of us and my husband ended up being, being a great coach. And it's such a, a special intimate moment when you actually give birth to your baby. And I think having another person there would have been, I don't know, it would have been a little bit different. I was really happy with with the way it turned out. Um, And with my birth, I'll continue on that story, I was induced. Um, I went in at like 1am, or sorry, at like midnight, and then was induced at 1am. And by I think the next day at 4 p.m., I had delivered her. I had an epidural, but it didn't work on my left side body. So I could feel the contraction still. Um, other than that, when as soon as the doctor arrived, um, I feel like I pushed for maybe four four contractions and she was out. I was really nervous about um, not having the baby's head come out fast enough because I have a cousin who was born. Uh, she was a very healthy baby during pregnancy, but she, she, when she was born, she didn't come out fast enough and uh, she didn't get enough air to the brain and she's handicapped now. So I was so worried about that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just need my baby's head to come out and then, you know, we can work on the rest. But I pushed so hard that I had broken blood vessels in my cheeks. Like my face was completely red. Oh my goodness, bless you. But overall, it was a very, I think it was a a good birth. It was quite smooth. Um, I had an episiotomy. I had a couple of stitches. But other than that, it really, it was probably better than I had had anticipated, definitely. Because I I think you sort of, you, you fear the worst because you hear so many stories and there's so many people I know that, you know, we're having babies around the same time and we're all sharing our stories. Mm. And I was, you know, I was prepared for the worst. I had heard, you know, everything. I was, you know, I'd heard all the stories. So I think I went in with, you know, a bit of fear, which isn't great, but it ended up but turning out okay. very so natural as well. I think, 
I also did hypnobirthing. Did you do the Positive Birth Company? Is that the company that you downloaded the, um, it's, it's a digital pack? No, I can't remember the name of it, but I don't think it was that. It was an Australian lady with a very ah, okay. Australian accent. Um, because I did hypnobirthing and just like you, it really informed me. I felt like I just had this education. You know, there were, there were things I learned that I just wouldn't have known to ask you know, and it's just about knowing your options. But of course, I was still scared. It didn't eliminate all my fear. And I think that a lot of those sort of traumatic and very difficult birth stories you hear, a lot of the time, it's because the woman herself didn't know her options and can feel like her birth happened to her. And I think that's mm -hmm. what can be so sad, because especially here where it's very medically led, you know, it's not midwife led. Sometimes things can just happen and you're not even told about them. You know, that happens a lot here. So the fact that you were induced um, and that there was a little bit of, you know, you want to get your baby out. You know, there is something going mm -hmm. on, but you had a really positive experience, I think is just wonderful because... I bang on about positive birth all the time and it positive birth does not equal natural birth positive birth is you feeling like you were part of the experience you were informed and you were part of the decision making process along the way and it really makes me sad when I hear ladies who are just like you know this happened and then the doctor was doing this and it's you know um and you don't know how you're going to feel in the moment. You really don't. So if you can just equip yourself with as much knowledge as possible, I think it's really helpful. Absolutely. And I would always recommend asking for the hospital's um, birthing plan and to familiarize yourself with everything on it. Um, you can even get them online if, if the hospital doesn't provide it. Or, you know, I, I had a look, I had my friend send me the one from Parkview, which was actually like four pages. Mm. And it really had the one at City was only one page. And it, the one from Parkview really had a lot of detail in it. And some of the things I didn't even know what they were. So it gave me time to, to Google them or, to, you know, yeah. to talk to people about it. And go through each scenario with your husband or, you know, whoever's going to be there. If you do have a doula, go through it with them. So you know, in, you know, the heat of the moment, if you know, she says, I'm going to have to cut you. Are you okay with that? You already have the answer. I yeah. mean, of course, you could change your mind in, you know, in the moment, but at least you, you know, and you, you know what to expect. So yeah, I think and being, being prepared. Absolutely. And I had that conversation with my doctor, you know, I, I said to her, what are your non-negotiables? These are mine. However, in the moment, I will listen and trust you. So I'm not going to mm -hmm. this. We, we may deviate from this plan because how do we know it's going to go to plan? But this is what I'm aiming for. These are my preferences. However, please know that I'm not going to fight you in the moment. If my baby is in danger, then we change the plan very quickly. But this is what I'm aiming towards just so you know. And then we were kind of on the same page, you know, because there were a few things that you know, I really didn't want to give up. Um, you know, like I really wanted to try and have the placenta naturally. As it turns out, I needed the injection because it just wasn't coming, you know, but there were things that I really wanted to try. Um, and But you have to be flexible because you just don't know how it's all going to pan out, do you? Um, you don't. So you need to have a little bit of flexibility there. But I'm so glad you had such a positive experience because so often with inductions, in, I feel like inductions have a very bad rep, like people kind of, you know, oh, if you're getting induced, then it might not, you know, you might not have the experience that you want. But if you're informed, you can still have a really great experience. And it doesn't mean that you then have to go down all these other routes of intervention. And I was actually really naive when the doctor first said to me, how do you feel about being induced? And I automatically just because I trust her so much, I said, yeah, whatever you think, if you think I need to be induced, I'll be induced. And then I went home and then I Googled it. And then I read that it's actually quite invasive. It's they're using synthetic, you know, drugs to, you know, it's unnatural. It's an unnatural way to, you know, tell your baby to come out. And then I was wondering if she, and I know this sounds horrible, but I was like, is she trying to pick a date to schedule me? And she absolutely wasn't, but that was, these are the things that sort of pop into your head. 
because she was like, okay, you know, when the time comes, I, and we got closer to the date. And when she said, I, I do want to induce you, how is this day or this day? And I was like, oh, wow. Like, are those, am I being scheduled just mm. so that, you know, she doesn't have to, she, you know, it works better for her if, if she knows exactly, you know, when she's going to deliver the baby. But it ended up not being like that. There was a legitimate reason why she wanted to induce me and it was for the baby's health. But in the beginning, when she had first told me or she had first asked me, how do you feel about it? And I just said yes right away. I was like, oh my gosh, I should have understood a little bit more about, you know, what it means to be mm. induced. Um, but it it worked out great in the end. And no, she definitely wasn't trying to schedule me. I don't know why I had that you know, that fear. I just, I think in Dubai, I think because it happened, you know, private yeah. medical, it does happen, right? It does and happen. Someone told yeah. me that they were induced because their doctor was going away on holiday. Mm. And, and, you know, and, or if you're having a baby around Christmas time, quite often they want to induce you so they, yeah. they can plan around Christmas. So, yeah, it does happen. So I think you were right to kind of just question it and, and look at it. But, you know, sometimes, if there's a legitimate reason that is what is best but no I think you were right to kind of investigate it a little bit further because it happens all the time here yeah definitely <laughs> and so how is the fourth trimester going for you and baby it's I mean I, I can't sum it up in in one word but I'll I'll tell you how the first month I'll go by by time so yeah. the first month I didn't leave the house much I was in complete baby bliss. I think for the first two weeks, you're just in a magical bubble. And it's really hard to explain to anyone who hasn't gone through it. So many of my friends who had had babies were like trying to explain to me how, how, you know, how it's a love that you've never felt before. It's such a magical time. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. But when you actually feel it and you're in it, I mean, it's, it's so hard to even describe I could easily just stay at home and stare at her all day. I can still do that, even though we're, we're two months in. Um, the first month I had major trust issues. And I don't know if, if this happens to all new moms where they don't really want anyone like our nanny to, to pick her up or, or leave. I didn't want to leave the baby with anyone except mm. for my husband. And that was something I really... I, I was very cautious of it and I, I knew that I needed to work on it, but something in me, some sort of instinct was not letting go. And I was trying to do everything myself to the point where I was even putting her in, you know, the sleepy head or the Moses basket in my bathroom when I was taking a shower. Oh yeah. I didn't I've been there leave her <laughs> for five minutes. I mean, I could shower in five minutes. I didn't want to leave her with the nanny and you know, it, it was my issue and I had to explain to everyone. I'm like, just be patient. You know, I'm just being like a protective mama bear at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll get over this eventually. Now we're two months in and, and, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm leaving her all the time, but I'm a lot more comfortable mm -hmm. leaving her, you know, to go and, and get my nails done or to go to the gym, to do my, you know, workouts. And, it's a lot easier when, you know, when you can actually let go and accept that help, it makes your life a whole lot easier. I mean, this, I, I can relate to this so much because I'm nine months in and I reached a point almost today, pretty much where I'm like, I need help. I can't do everything. I need to relinquish some control. And I went through a really I went through that phase where I thought I'm never going to be able to let anyone do anything with her. But yet there's all these other things I want to do. So something mm -hmm. has to give. I have to trust someone else with her. Of course, I trust my husband. Um, but, you know, he's at work and he's busy as well. So I can completely understand that. It's a really it's a really difficult one because you feel very, very torn and there's all this guilt involved. But I'm now at a stage where I'm like, you know, for me and my mental health and for me to be the best mom I can be, I need help. I cannot physically do everything. And sometimes it's really hard to admit that. You know, what helped me a lot is we hired, I'm just trying to remember their name. We hired a first aid company that actually came to the house and did first aid training with uh, myself, my husband, there were a few other couples that came over for the training. 
And then they did a separate training the following day for the nannies. And because all of the nannies were from the Philippines, they did it in Tagalog. Mm. And it was a very intensive course. It was five or six hours. Um, after that, and after knowing that, you know, she had the same training as we did, we all learned the same techniques and especially the choking for me, that was the number one. Like I wanted to understand yeah. what to do if the baby starts choking. And as soon as we, you know, we talked about it afterwards, I told them, make sure you take videos, make sure you take notes. And, you know, we're going to print all of the, the emergency numbers and put them, you know, in the nursery and, and down in the kitchen. And as soon as we did that, I felt like I could let go a little bit. Mm. And because I, I understood, okay, if, you know, my baby is in their care or in her care and, and she chokes and something happens or if she needs to call, you know, the ambulance, she knows how. We, we've gone through it together. We've discussed it. And I think that definitely helped. And it, you know, I think it's, it was great to go through that because I, I really did need to, to let go. Are, are you still feeling that way nine months in or was there a point where you, where you felt like you could let go a little bit? Um, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And if you, if you can find who it is, I'll put their details in the show notes. Cause I think first aid is key. Um, I've been, I mean, I've watched videos on YouTube, but I've been meaning to do a course because as soon as I started weaning, the first thing obviously you worry about is choking. So I think okay. that is definitely mm -hmm. something I'm going to look into. And also your idea of putting the numbers on the fridge and, and in the nursery, because I think if I really think about it, I'm not sure I would know. I mean, you could do it quickly from your iPhone, but is it 999? Is it 911? I actually don't know. So um, I'm going to do that tonight. There are there are a bunch of different numbers. Yeah. So 999 will get you pretty much, you know, yeah. it'll work. But for, for specific things and even like poison control, things like mm. that, if they get into to something like that. Um, it was called, it's called ADEPT, A-D-E-P-T, ADEPT CPR. Okay, great. Okay, I will put First that information training. in the show notes. Thank you for that. But no, I think I was just really surprised at how I'm a very pragmatic, quite calm person. When I had my baby, I just felt I just became a martyr. I was like, yeah, I can freelance and work and look after her full time and keep on top of the house. Why? What am I trying to prove? Who, am, who is this for? There's no medal for this, you know, and I think I've now come to a stage where I'm like, OK, I want to start working even more. There are things I want to be able to do and that's OK. But with that comes, you need some support. It's okay to say I can't do everything on my own. And I don't really know where that comes from. But no, now I'm at a point where even today I looked into some, some part-time help and I'm going to have a trial with um, somebody next week. So I'm starting to put those things in place because I know it's really important. You know, I grew up with a mom that worked and set a fantastic example. And so I've been brought up in a way where I've seen somebody do it. I don't know why I've, I've really struggled to sort of, relinquish that control and I think it's almost when you be when you make yourself the only person that can do things with your baby it's a vicious cycle because it then is. you're like well they don't but they don't know what that crime means well you need to allow someone the chance to get to know your baby and I think that's half the battle um because even with my husband in the early day, early days he'd say like you're making it very difficult for me to help you like I'm trying to help you and you're like criticizing so <laughs> And now we've got to a really good place, but, and I've had to like, just leave her with him and step away so he can figure that out for himself because he has a way of doing things. So yeah, I'm surprised I was like that. Um, cause I thought I would be very chilled out and just like, yeah, anyone can have my baby. Yeah, cool. And I, <laughs> I just wasn't like that at all. <laughs> the, these, these different things come up after you have a baby, but you know, I was really surprised that I didn't or I, I didn't and I still don't criticize my husband. I think I'm, I'm just so happy that he wants to help. And if he wants to do something a certain way, fine. I mean, there are times when he will come to me and be like, okay, why is she crying like this? You're with her more often, you know, tell me what I need to do. Um, and I was, I was actually surprised that I was, I was okay. Like I didn't, you know, micromanage how he did things. And I, I, I mean, I just think it's, it'll get done. I mean, we're both, we both love the child so much and we both want what's best for it. If he does it one way and I do it a different way, as long as it gets done and it's for, you know, the good of the baby, then, then it's yeah. all good. 
no that is so um, the right attitude to have because now I'm now I'm more like that with my husband he's got more confidence he he's I can see in him he's feeling better about it because I'm not peering over him like oh, why don't you try it that way why don't you do that so I think it's really important to allow your partner to to get their confidence because especially if you're breastfeeding in the beginning sometimes it can feel a little bit left out and there's not as much for them to do so you need to make a point of allowing them that time and bonding time because they Absolutely. don't have that that initial sort of intense one-on-one time like we have if, if you're breastfeeding um mm-hmm. and do you have any sort of go-to products or things that you would recommend that you found really helpful during these first um three months um let's see definitely a white noise machine um i would suggest to try and find one that doesn't require batteries and that doesn't switch off automatically Mm. the one i have is great i love it so much but it does switch off after i think about 30 minutes and sometimes when it turns off baby wakes up and can often start crying again yeah it's a little bit frustrating these white noise um products because they're fantastic but they stop we've actually resorted to just putting youtube on and putting a white noise with no ads for 12 hours because i've struggled to find a product that just continuously plays the the white noise machine is it's really handy for traveling and we Mm. you know we we take it pretty much everywhere we go where she needs to sleep but i actually have the nanit which is the like the monitor, the yes. camera that goes above the the crib, and it actually has built-in white noise, and it has four different sounds, which is amazing that because is amazing. it will stay on all night. The Nanit is, I mean, I don't think it's an essential because it's very expensive. It's quite a luxury item, um, but that is an excellent device. I'm really happy with it, but definitely something that's um, affordable and essential mm. for for me was a portable white noise machine. Um, the Frida Baby Snot Sucker. I love Frida Baby. I love <laughs> I love all their products. Me too. I actually have the Windy also. I don't know if you've ever heard yes. of that or used it. Yes, I tried the Windy. Yep. Yeah, we went we went through okay, a phase of trying that and it did work. I found it did work. It did it like it, it just deflates the stomach. It, it was a bit I don't know, I, I hated doing it. I mean because you have to put like you have to lube it up. You yeah. have to put like some kind of like we used coconut oil on it, and then you know put it in their little bum. I know it was really tragic. But they don't seem that, do that bothered, do they? Not really, and it did work. Like you can hear like this, yeah, like, the yeah, air yeah. coming out, and it really helped because she's got reflux and she's colicky and she's super gassy, and it was you know instead of having to keep giving her the gripe water or any yeah. of the, the medicines, this was actually a a more natural way of giving of her a bit of relief. Her, her little yeah. tummy. Um, the third thing I would recommend is a sleep suit or many sleep suit onesies with a zipper that covers both the hands and feet. So I didn't know this. Of course, you know, when I was still pregnant, I was buying things. I was buying the snap ones and I was buying the ones mm. with um, without the built-in hand covers. And I bought you know, the, the separate gloves. Well, those are such a pain to put on because you can bend a little finger back so easily and they usually come off the ones, the, the sleep suit onesies with the zipper and the automatic um, covers and the feet covers are brilliant. And you'll probably need like, I don't know how much laundry you do, but I definitely have 10, 10 to 15 on rotation, especially when they're newborn and that, you know, they're wearing those all day, all night as well. Yeah, you can never have enough onesies. <laughs> Love them. Love the zipper ones. They're the best. Yeah, just so much easier. And especially in the middle of the night, the poppers are just, you're trying to do it in the dark and it's, yeah. It and when be- they're crying and they're kicking, it will literally drive you mad. Like you'll just be so frustrated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, And what are your top three tips for traveling? Because you've traveled with your little girl, haven't you, already? We did. Um, We just got back from the Seychelles about a week ago. And I had major anxiety going on the plane with a newborn just because I know how I felt when I was sat next to or near to somebody with a newborn. And I I just didn't want to get all the evil eyes 
Um, you should definitely take a, a wrap, like one of those boba wraps that you mm. can, you know, carry your baby on your chest. I felt that that was really useful in the airport and of course on the plane. The issue with the plane is if the baby is sleeping on you, I don't know if if us moms, we would fall asleep and, and lose our grip on the baby and the baby would fall. I think we would wake up before that would happen. But when it was my husband's turn to take the baby and he had her on his chest and I kept watching him and he would sort of nod off and he would just sort of relax. And I was so worried that he would lose his grip and the baby would, mm. you know, come out of his his arms. So I actually, I don't even know how I did this, but I wrapped him properly like the way that you're supposed to while he was seated because we had the bassinet in front of us so he was really it was kind of difficult for both of us to stand up so while he was sitting in um in the economy seat i wrapped him up in the boba and had like baby securely in there and that was it was a lifesaver having that we like i used it all the time and it's also my go-to when the baby starts to cry as soon as i put her in that I feel like she stops crying. She so it's kind yeah. of like my secret, it's my secret weapon. Um, I would actually take a car seat with you, even if you're not planning on renting a car. Um, we wrapped the car seat at the airport in plastic and we checked it in so we didn't have to carry it around. And even if you're, I mean, we did rent a car, so we found it really useful mm. and we didn't have the um, the other, like the base that we have in our car here. Like the ISOFIX. Yes, yeah. we didn't have that with us, but with the the maxi cozy we have, we, you know, just belted it in with the seat belt, and it's yeah. it's still, it's still quite safe. Also, if you're going in a taxi, I think it's better to have that, and you know, you can carry baby around in it, and we found it really handy to use, and I'm super glad that we took it. My husband wanted to to use a car seat. He wanted to tell the rental car place that we we're coming with, you know, an infant, and just use one of theirs. I was like, no way. Like, mm. we have no idea what that thing is going to look like, how yeah. old it is, or how many, you know, it's probably not been cleaned properly and how many people have used it. And then we got to the airport and we, like, we could see in, like, where they, they have all of their, their rental car stands. I could see around the back and I could see all of these car seats on the floor and they were hideous. They were so filthy. Mm. And I said to my husband, I'm like, I can't believe you wanted our baby to, you know, to hang out in one yeah. of those filthy things. So we we're so glad that we had our own. Um, I would also recommend, even though it doesn't make much, you don't think it makes much sense and it takes up a lot of room, but pack diapers and wet wipes with you, depending on where you're going. I mean, if you're going, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere where, you know, where, you know, there's a shop down the road that will have everything you need or a supermarket, then, okay, maybe not. But if you're going somewhere like Seychelles where we're, we're not sure, you know, where to, yeah. you know, where the closest supermarket is. And if you're going somewhere like an island like that, um, I would definitely bring everything that you need when it comes to diapers and wet wipes. Yeah, you do not want to be running out of either of those things. <laughs> oh my gosh, could you imagine? I mean, wet wipes, okay, you can, you know, you can do, make do, but not having a diaper, I don't know what we would, yeah. you know, what would we use instead? That's and how <laughs> and how was the general experience for you? Was it better than you thought? Because um, I, I actually haven't traveled with my little girl yet. We've done staycations, but it's very different than getting on a plane. Um, I would say on our way there, so the first time ever going on a plane with her, it was quite stressful. I would say the feeding, although, you know, I'm when when your baby's crying and you need to to feed it popping out your boob and you know and, and getting her on your breast it's you know you don't even think about who's yeah. looking at your your boobs and to be honest i don't think anyone wants to see my boobs in the states in the state that they're in right now so that was a little bit it was still you know there's people right next to you you're in if you're in economy and you know it's easy for people to look over it didn't bother me that much because i wasn't you know shy about you know, breastfeeding in a public space, but it still was a little bit stressful. It was also stressful trying to change her diaper in, you know, in an airplane bathroom. Mm. You know, there's, there's bumps, there's, you know, a little bit of turbulence. You have to do, you feel like you have to do everything so quickly yeah. just in case there is turbulence. So you get in there and, and on Emirates at least, or on this plane, 
the the changing table was above the toilet. Okay, you put the toilet seat down so they're, you know, they're not going to like fall into the toilet, but it's just very awkward and it's not it's not comfortable and you feel like you're doing like a million things you don't have enough hands. Yeah. And you're worried about, you know, being shook around by, you know, by the turbulence. So it was a little bit stressful um on our way there. On our way back because my husband actually flew back before us, we had like a little bit of drama at the airport where um, we actually took our nanny and, and she, there was something, there's some paperwork missing. So she wasn't able to board and I stayed with her and my husband went ahead. But when we actually came back, um, I upgraded with points to, to business, which was a whole other experience it was so much better. Oh my God. Um, having, having all that space. So if you have points and you can upgrade, uh, with a baby, I would definitely do it hands down. Oh yeah. Sure. I, yeah, that would make so much difference. Just the space and yeah. And I think, I mean, with the rushing, I feel like in those early days, I got very good at doing everything very quickly just because mm -hmm. you just don't know when they're next going to wake up. So like I got very used to like, okay, I fed her. She's now asleep. Okay, quick. I'm going to shower. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to eat something quickly. Like I, I got used to doing everything like super fast. I imagine it's a similar thing when you're on the plane. It's like quick, quick, quick. Let's just quick because yeah, you don't know if there's going to be a little bit of turbulence and I feel like as a mum, you do get used to kind of just like rushing and doing everything. That's calmed down a little bit now. But in those early days, I remember just constantly doing everything at a crazy And speed. I was surprised myself at how many things I could do at once. Yeah. You know, I've, um, yeah. Oh, I was, I was laughing because I was, I was feeding her. I was expressing, I've stopped doing that now, but I was expressing and feeding her um, bottle just because I wanted to to have control over how much how many mls she was getting mm -hmm. I was a bit you know in she was two weeks early so in the beginning I really wanted to get weight on her yeah and I thought that if I can see you know what's what you know how much she's getting I could control that but I remember um being somewhere and I I was actually I was doing something with my right hand holding her with my my left arm and I had the the glass Dr. Brown's bottle, which is quite heavy, like the short one. And I was actually holding it steady with my chin. So it was in her mouth, but I had it like pressed against my chin instead of my right hand because I was doing something else with my right hand. And I turned to my friend and I was like, can you see what I'm doing right now? Like, like look at how many things I'm doing at once. <laughs> and I actually like surprised myself. I'm like, I can't believe like I'm feeding my baby with my chin like holding the bottle with yeah. it while I'm like, you know, doing something on my phone and, you know, holding her and could even like open a door with, with my foot. Like I swear we, we multitask as moms. We do so many things at once. Yeah. Multitasking gets taken to a new level. And when I was breastfeeding, I got so good at doing things with one hand. Um, mm -hmm. I was just like amazed, like you were the things I could manage to do whilst holding and feeding a baby. I was like, this is crazy. Like women are just, yeah, we are insane. <laughs> We are. I actually, I don't have Siri enabled on my phone because I, I always think that, you know, it's another way for them to listen in mm. on you if you have Siri enabled. But I'm actually thinking about doing it because it'd be so much easier just to, to you know, to say to Siri, you know, look up this or look up that instead of having to do like typing it all out with one thumb. Yeah. You don't have your other hand most of the time. I dropped my phone quite a few times when I was breastfeeding. Um, yeah, I had to get my screen replaced a couple of times because it would just like slip out my hand. Um, so invest in a good solid phone cover. That's yeah, a tip there. <laughs> yeah, a good phone cover that bounces. Um, Danielle, are there any areas of motherhood you wish we spoke about more? Um, postpartum depression is something that I don't think we speak about enough. I was lucky to have only had one or two blue days. Um, I was really worried about this because my mom had postpartum depression for a year after having me. Mm. I think because she had quite a traumatic birth. And I think this was a major contributor to, to why she you know, felt blue for so long after having me. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people, especially men, that don't understand. Maybe it was just my situation because I would speak to my husband about it. I said, you know, this could happen to me. It happened to my mom. And, you know, I want you to be really understanding. And he would say, 
I don't understand how anyone can be sad after having such a precious, you know, mm. a baby come into their lives. Like this is such a magical thing. Like how can you be depressed? And it's so hard to uh, to explain that it's it's not that we choose to be like this. It's it's a hormone factor. It's something that is completely out of our control. And I don't know if that's just my situation or men are more understanding, but my husband was like, I think it's crazy that women are depressed after having a baby when it's, you know, they, they wanted the baby so badly and they finally yeah. have it and it's come. So I think speaking about it more and more from like a medical, like if we could speak about it more as it's like a condition in a way that you really can't help. I mean, it's. Yeah. You know, it's it, a chemical imbalance, isn't it? And I think obviously there's there's the baby blues and there's postpartum depression and they're two very different things but it is a very oh, I didn't know that yeah are they so, two different things so okay two, I just use them as interchangeable yeah things. Sorry. so baby blues very natural you have this rush of hormones I have baby blues for a few days and it is a complicated feeling because you are so in love and so happy but you are also full of emotion and you're sleep deprived and there's part of you that is sad about certain areas of your life that you are sort of grieving in a way. It's very, very complicated. But then mm -hmm. after a few days, that usually lifts and then you feel a bit better. I think postpartum depression is when it doesn't lift. And you, okay. there is something chemical that has happened and you just cannot get back to that point. And, it's, and you love your baby and you're functioning, but you feel you don't feel yourself, you know? And I think it, yeah, I can understand why your husband would think that. Like, how can you be depressed? This is the most magical mm -hmm. thing ever. And I think that's why it is so complicated because you don't know why you feel that way. And I definitely had a few days where I would just cry and cry and cry. And the tears Me were too. coming and I couldn't control them. But I also knew that that was normal. So I wasn't panicked by it. I was just like, this is part of the, the process. You know, so you're praying that it doesn't last more than a few days. Okay, so there we go. We do need to talk about this more because I use those two words, you know, interchangeably. And my mom definitely had postpartum depression because it lasted a year. Mm. And mine, I guess, yeah, it was the baby blues because it was only one or two days. Yeah, the one or two days, I think is, and some women don't experience that. And that is fantastic. But I think like my mom had warned me, your milk will come in and you may feel really wobbly. And that's exactly what happened. My milk came in and that's I right. suddenly was mm -hmm. just like, oh, I feel really wobbly. And also the sleep deprivation starts to kick in, you know, and I'm not used to not sleeping. It's, it's so hard to deal with. <laughs> yeah you you actually surprise yourself on on how much you can on how you can function on so little sleep like I oh, was always yeah. a long sleeper like nine hours I needed to get you know a lot of sleep in you know pre-baby and now it's like you know I, I'm running perfectly fine on four and I don't yeah. know if that's a good thing <laughs> no it is it, I, I that was you one just of the adapt. things I was really nervous about but actually I got really used to broken sleep um what I'm now going through is my baby then started to sleep through but we've regressed a little bit and now I'm really struggling because I got used to sleeping again and now when I don't get my full night's sleep I really feel it whereas when she was newborn I was fine I could manage I got you know chunks of sleep because you're you know you're waking mm -hmm. to feed and I could really function off that, but I've really struggled recently because I got used to sleeping again. And it's like, what what's happened? You know, those um, are the three most beautiful words I've I like to me. Full night's sleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Sleep is everything. It makes such a difference. But I think also in those early days, you're kind of running off adrenaline as well. So something just kicks in and you just cope. You can just cope with less sleep. It's like mother nature mm -hmm. or something. It's bizarre. I remember thinking like, why am I not tired? Like, how am I doing this? This is amazing. Um, I, I felt that as well. And I was like, I don't need a night nurse. There's no way I need a night nurse. And my husband was like, you're going to hit a wall and it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And I did. I really did. Yeah. I frequently hit walls now. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, we're going to do a quick fire round now. So, Danielle, sure. your one piece of advice for first-time mums. Oh, just one piece of advice. Okay. 
Um, Gosh, if you have additional colostrum, so colostrum, if, if people don't know what that is, it's the milk that comes in. Sometimes it comes in before you actually give birth Mm. and it's what they call the liquid gold. Yeah. And it'll come after you have your baby. I think it's four days that you have it until it turns into breast milk. So that colostrum, if you have additional, I would say buy those large syringes and, you know, squeeze, squeeze it out and put it into the syringe and then freeze it for safekeeping for, you know, a later date. I will definitely do that when we have our second baby. I love that. No one's ever given that advice. I love that. I Um, have a list of things. I started with do what works for you, but I think people hear that quite often. But the colostrum, I wish someone had have told me. Yeah, I've never heard that before. To start saving saving it because it is, it's it's so nutritious and it is liquid gold and it can help your your little one if they need a little boost. Yeah, absolutely. It is liquid gold. Um, Your top three essential newborn items. Um, I think we did those. It was the white noise machine, yep. the Frida baby snot sucker, and the onesie um, sleep suit with the zipper and the hands and feet built in. Are there in. any other bits? Like you mentioned sleepy head. I was such a fan of the sleepy head. Are there any other things um, that you've just sort of found yourself using on a daily basis that you really love? I use, um, I don't actually think it's the Moses basket, but it's the same. It's a similar sort of um, basket that you can put the baby in and carry it around like from room to room. Mm. Uh, we actually took it on holiday with us and we didn't check it. We actually took it on the plane and that's what the baby slept in when we were in, you know, on holiday and we use it every single day. I don't think it's inessential because there are other things that you could use, but it's what's, what it's worked quite well for us. Yeah. And she sleeps, she sleeps well in there. Yes. It's, and it's nice and flat because I know there's, there's sort of a debate about, you know, mm-hmm. we have the, the cocoon baby, which is on a Yeah, slide, I had that. And I use that during the day for a few hours at a time. Um, usually after a feed, after a burp, and then I put her in that so that she's still sitting a little bit upright, mm-hmm. um, but definitely not for sleeping. So the basket is, is nice and flat. There's a mattress. Um, you can, you know, get mattress covers. So if they spit up, you can easily wash the mattress cover. So yeah, that, that works for us. What's one thing you wish someone had warned you about before becoming a mum? You know, I've spoken to so many mothers and, you know, friends and family. I've watched so many YouTube videos and, um, you know, following certain moms on Instagram, that there weren't many surprises. Um, one that, I don't know, wasn't, isn't, wasn't really a surprise, but I think just how, how your body feels after birth and how you, you know, I was told, you know, you have to take those 40 days and really, you mm. know, nourish your body back to health. You have gone through quite a trauma, giving birth is a trauma. Um, and I did, I think it sort of went in ear in one ear and out the other, but I think, you know, people, if they warned you a little bit more about, you know, how you really need to take care of your body and how you shouldn't jump back into things right away, how you need that time to heal. I think you, I needed to hear it a few times before I yeah. really realized it because you are, you really do need to nourish and heal your body and you don't want to be, you know, I really wanted to get back to to exercise. And I even, you know, did a couple cheeky things before I was, I had the clear for my doctor, which I probably shouldn't have done, but to really understand like your pelvic floor and how everything works and to really give yourself time. Um, I did sort of have those warnings, but probably, probably not enough. I didn't really listen. Yeah. Your body really has been through something. It's a natural trauma. Mm -hmm. And so no matter how smooth and positive your birth was, you have to allow allow your body to recover and sort of respect that even if you feel great in yourself you still need to kind of give give your body that time um yeah I think that's really important even if you feel 
feel good and you think that you can do it, you don't know what damage that you could be doing long-term. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's one thing. And I'm talking specifically about the, the pelvic floor and, and all the muscles down there that need to heal. Yeah. And, and we need more education on that because we don't really know how it all works. Um, you know, and it's, and it's complicated and we don't really get taught about this. So there's some amazing people on, on Instagram though, doing pelvic floor education and exercises. So yes. And women's health physios, there are some great ones in Dubai. Mm. Yeah. So they really, really recommend, um, while during your pregnancy and post and postpartum, definitely go yep. and see. Yes. Go 100%. And see um, your favorite thing about being a mum. Um, I would, I mean, there's, there's so many wonderful things, but it's been a completely new and exciting journey. I think that's one of my favorite things that, you know, you're always learning. Things are always changing. Every day is a new day. You know, your, your baby is growing and, and there's always something exciting happening. So I'd say a completely new and exciting journey is the best thing about being a mom. And finally, Danielle, what does motherhood mean to you in three words? I would say connection, strength, and unconditional love. That is so beautiful. Danielle, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for thank being you so, so much for having me. open. And congratulations again. This is, it is just the most magical time. And I remember that sort of like initial baby bubble so well. And it, and it, not that I'm not in one now, but that initial sort of like just magic and when they're so tiny it is just yeah it's amazing so the first cherish every weeks, second absolutely the best exactly cherish it for sure <laughs> oh, danielle thank you so much thank you for having me thank you thank you so much once again to danielle you can find links to danielle's instagram and some of the services and products we spoke about in the show notes below you can also find links below to our social media accounts, along with info on our recently launched Meaningful Mama Mornings, which take place every month here in Dubai. With these Mama Mornings, we are so thrilled to be able to bring you a different expert guest in person each month from infant sleep consultants, weaning experts, parenting coaches, and so much more. So I really hope to see you at one of our events in the near future. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review and subscribe to Friday's Child the Podcast to help us reach more wonderful mamas. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>